It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy sounded the alarm Tuesday about a current crisis in America in a dramatic report. Murthy's intervention was notable in part because surgeon generals often don't weigh into a lot of things. They typically only weigh in on things that are significant public health challenges that demand the American people uh, immediate attention, immediate action, things like tobacco or HIV AIDS. The surgeon general emphatically declared relating to this topic, our obligation to act is not just medical, it's moral. So what was the topic for the Surgeon General's dramatic 53-page report, Protecting Youth Mental Health. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. We are very pleased to have joining us back on the program again, Jenny Howe, who we always look to when we're talking about mental health and wellness, especially with our young people. And in light of what the Surgeon General's report came out and said today, we thought this was a good chance for us, especially rolling into the holidays, an important time of year to be aware of, for all of us, to be aware of our mental health, but especially for our young people. The holidays can be really tricky. Uh, Jenny, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be back. Yeah. So as, as you saw the uh, the Surgeon General's report come out, uh, and I thought it was interesting this, that the Surgeon General pointed out in the introduction that, hey, this is, this is not just pandemic related. Most of these things were bubbling at a pretty high boil before we got into the pandemic, and that just made them worse and, and brought them to light a little bit more. Uh, but what have you yeah. been seeing? What are the trends? What are, what are you sensing, especially as it relates to our young people? You know, I couldn't agree more with his insight to that this is the straw that broke the camel's back, so to say. You know, I think that our young people have been struggling and, you know, anxiety and depression has been on the cusp of all of our minds as clinicians for the last, especially, you know, 10 years as we've seen the suicide rates increase. Um, But the pandemic was something that, you know, threw a spotlight onto these issues and, I just spoke at a school in Sacramento, a private high school, a couple of weeks ago talking about this very topic. And the same question was asked to me, you know, what do you think? Is the pandemic, the, you know, causing all this stuff that we're seeing or, or did it happen before? And I think the biggest gift that the pandemic is going to bring us is the fact that we have no choice but to see these things now. You know, mm-hmm. as devastating as it is that, that we're kind of witnessing our children's mental health struggles, we have to look at it now. You yeah. know, the straw has been broken on the back. And, and I think that that's a good thing. 
Yeah, and I I think that's so interesting. The Surgeon General, uh, uh, Murthy, of course, uh, really kind of sounded the alarm uh, with the mental health uh, report that came out. And I thought it was really interesting. You know, normally you don't get these Surgeon General reports. This Mm -hmm. is a 53-page report, uh, except for on really big, I mean, like pandemics, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, And I thought it was interesting that the Surgeon General noted, he said, our obligation to act is not just medical it's moral. I thought that was a really powerful way to, to frame how we should be looking at mental health. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a, as a clinician, too, I, I have always looked at mental health in the same realm that I look at medical health. And I think that we tend to compartmentalize it into two different issues, right? We have mental health issues and then we have medical health issues. And really, our body is just one body. Our brain is a part of our system. And so I think the Surgeon General kind of taking a stand and including it in this type of a report setting is crucial to what we as clinicians have been wanting to to bear witness to for years, which is our brain health is our body health. They are all interconnected and we can't take one more seriously or less seriously than the other. And, you know, the younger generation, our young people, I think, have been given more words and vocabulary to kind of describe what mental health is for them. And that's giving us the the older (laughs) generation, the opportunity to kind of witness it in a way where we're like, man, you know, I think maybe I was struggling like that when I was their age. Um, But medical and mental health is just health. And I'm really pleased to see that we're able to kind of talk about it in the same or beginning to talk about it in the same format now. Yeah, I think that's so vital. And I, I love the way you've framed that. It is just health. And for so long, there was kind of the, the stigma, of course, around mental health and getting help for those kinds of mm-hmm. things. Uh, but mm-hmm. to look at that holistically and say, look, it's all health. <laughs> we yeah. are we are all interconnected. And I think that's important. I think it's important for our young people to understand that. But as you pointed out, Jenny, uh, this is also important for parents and for grandparents and for teachers and mm-hmm. coaches mm-hmm. And, and instructors uh, to all understand that we got to have a different kind of conversation about this. Definitely a conversation where it's not dismissed and it's taken seriously. You know, I think we are sometimes reactive to it to a fault. You know, if our kids come to us and they say that they're struggling, then we want to just protect them and fix it rather than allow for them to find a path to fix it themselves, which is what clinical therapy is, right? Is giving your child the opportunity to find a path to fix their mental health themselves rather than you fixing it for them. So I think sometimes we're reactive in that way, but I also think sometimes we slip into the underreactivity mm. where we think it's just a phase or we think it's something that our kid will work out. You know, they're just going through a breakup or something like that. And we don't give it enough a value like we would if our child came walking in from school with a broken arm that he or she got on the way home from the bus stop. And so I think we tend to kind of be black or white about it and fall on the reactivity spectrum on one end or the other. And I'd like to see us have conversations about it just like we do. Like, hey, mom, I'm waking up today. I'm not feeling really good. I think I'd like to stay home. Well, what hurts? My stomach. You know, I'd like the kids to be able to say instead of my stomach, hey, you know what? My heart kind of hurts today or I'm feeling really anxious today rather than just, you know, lumping it into a medical issue. Yeah, those are such crucial conversations. And having the right language, I think, is so important. Uh, And sometimes we think as adults uh, that we're talking about things in one way and thinking it's making sense to our young people. And it it just doesn't. What are some of the other things we should be aware of as it relates to kind of the vocabulary and the way we approach this conversation? 
I think, um, especially from a teenage perspective, if we were to go into a conversation just with a bunch of like questions or assumptions, you're just going to push that teenager away or anybody away, yeah. really, but especially a teenager. And so to go into a conversation, if you have some concerns, if you're noticing that your child is maybe, you know, um, feeling more isolative than usual, maybe not going out, maybe more avoidant than usual, those are some real, you know, strong red flags, the grades are slipping have a conversation that includes you as the primary target. So, hey, you know, I've observed this, and I know that when I have been doing those things, I felt this way, and these are my experiences feeling that way. And open the door for your child to share rather than grill them and expect a response or an outcome. You know, we go into these conversations with kids almost like we're, we're dealing with a business, right? Like, I, I want to know what's, what's going on so I can fix the problem and move forward in my day. And they're human beings, just like we are. And so we need to approach the conversation with gentleness and also just with vulnerability, with openness on our end in order to receive that from them. That vulnerability, we always come back to that. If, if we can <laughs> model that for our young people, uh, help right. them to understand that is, is a real critical piece of the puzzle where they can say, oh, uh, mom understands that. Or, oh, man, dad, dad would reacted the same way I did, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, uh, and, exactly. and because I think one of the other things from the pandemic uh, and the report uh, bore this out, that uh, part of the isolation that came with the pandemic also kept mm-hmm. uh, the young people from being connected to people who are kind of the natural watchmen and watchwomen on the towers or people who could be reporters, mm-hmm. you know, of, of things like abuse or, or, or depression mm-hmm. or suicide and those kinds of things. Um what do we need to do to reestablish some of that connective tissue uh, where, again, they haven't had as much interaction, you know, with teachers and coaches and, and all the people in our communities? Yeah. You know, I think what happened during the pandemic is we took away kids' extracurriculars. And those are crucial not only for all kids in general, but especially for our underprivileged population, mm. because that is where they're having a consistent contact with an adult that sees them frequently enough to understand their patterns, right, and can be that that watchtower for them, so to speak. And when we take out the outlet or the purpose in a child's life, and extracurriculars often serve as that for our kids, then they're kind of left with the discovery of self, and sometimes that doesn't feel very good. <laughs> you know, they need to, um, we need to make sure, I think, now how we kind of bleed into what do we do now with that, we need to make sure that we are reconnecting with kids that lost some of those connections to extracurriculars. I have kids that were involved on my caseload in lots of different like theater and Mm. I have another person who's doing lacrosse and since the pandemic and now things are starting up again, they're like, yeah, I don't really know if I want to do that anymore. And they've kind of become comfortable with the isolated life. And I think we need to encourage and push our kids to develop relationships with connected adults outside of the home as well, because they're a different set of eyes and sometimes they're more consistent than the eyes in the home. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's so vital. It was one of the areas of the report that I found most fascinating was this whole focus on youth connectedness as an important mm-hmm. protective factor uh, for mm-hmm. health and well-being. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and maybe you can talk about that just a little bit in terms of whether that's family connectedness, whether that's school connectedness, whether that's peer connectedness. How is that playing out and, and what else do we need to be doing to, to encourage that connectedness? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. You know, I'll go into a really short story here that I could elaborate on. But when I was in undergrad school, I worked for the Division of Youth Corrections in Utah. And I worked with with young men and women who had committed felonies. So they were in a secure care. They were on parole. 
And I was taking like a criminology class or something like that, graduating in psychology. And rather than write the essay, I asked my professor if I could bring in um, one of my clients, somebody who had been involved in, in gang life in Utah, some pretty intense charges. And he was like, okay. So I brought, you know, my client in to speak. And this is something he was really wanting to do is kind of share his experience with other people. And the one thing he said that stood out to me, and this is 20 years ago, Boyd, but the one thing he said was, somebody asked him, what would have prevented you from getting involved in a game? And he said, if I would have had something to do after school, if I would have had an, an adult in my life get me involved in something after school, that would have been the thing. That would have been the thing that prevented all of this in my life. Mm-hmm. And that just stuck with me and has stuck with me for the entirety of my life since that conversation into how much value our extracurriculars or after school activities or our connectedness beyond just kind of the, the roles and responsibilities that are naturally there. Like school's fantastic, right? But it's the teacher who takes the time to talk to you after class that is valuable, right? It's the things that happen in addition to the structures that are already put in place that are incredibly valuable for our kids in terms of connectedness. And it is life-changing. And and in a lot of cases, it's the things that would have set a different trajectory for our youth. Mm. And so I think it it is not only vital, I think it's the thing, if we were to do anything with our kids, getting them involved with people outside of the home in some sort of connected way is the thing that is going to to help their mental health the most. Yeah, so vitally important. And uh, before I let you go, Jenny, um, this as we move into the holidays, again, this can be a tricky time, especially for our teenagers yeah. uh, and, and for those a little older than that, those who are uh, you know single or those who are in different mm-hmm. uh, settings where they're, they may be a little off balance during uh, all of the holidays. Uh, what should we be watching for as families, as caregivers, as as friends? Uh, what should we be leaning into uh, during the next few weeks? I think we need to lean into the places that are quiet. Mm. You know, I think the holidays are so full of, of hustle and bustle and all of those cliched words that are, are true of this time. And the people that are struggling are going to be quiet during this time. You're not going to hear from them. Um, they're going to feel lonely. They're going to feel isolated. And it's our job as people that aren't necessarily feeling that way to look for the quiet and to reach out and lean into that and to bring those people to us. Mm. Fantastic. Great insight as always, Jenny Howe. We always appreciate your perspective. And uh, I don't know if there's a more important, crucial conversation that we need to be having individually, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And clearly the Surgeon General is saying this is a conversation we need to have as a country. Uh, Vital stuff. Jenny, we'll have you back to continue this conversation. Uh, So much more to come uh, in this area. And I always appreciate your perspective. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And this is just such a crucial conversation. Uh, We also check out the Surgeon General's report. Some very fascinating things in there from Surgeon General Murthy, uh, who again sounded the alarm on Tuesday. Uh, Again, it's not something that the Surgeon General weighs in on just for fun or just because it's uh, an interesting topic. Uh, Surgeon General reports are really reserved for significant public health challenges that demand the American people's immediate attention. The Surgeon General said this is our obligation is to act, and our obligation is not just medical, it is moral. Uh, And again, the, the topic, protecting youth 
mental health. And I think Jenny Howe got it absolutely right that the most important thing that our young people need, that we all need really, is that connectedness. And if there's anything that the pandemic has really exasperated and exacerbated uh, is that connective tissue uh, that we have for each other, for neighbors, uh, for teachers, for our young people. And we've got to redevelop that and reconnect that. Mental health is a big deal. We need to have honest conversations, courageous vulnerability, and let's get to some better solutions. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.